The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Listening to the Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC and Disney Plus series Doctor Who, and today we're discussing the fourteenth Doctor story, The Star Beast. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey, how's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. And where they allow it, write a review if they have that ability or give us a rating or whatever it is that helps us get the podcast in front of more people because the algorithm says, hey, somebody liked it. Let's share that with more people. And also, of course, sharing the podcast with your friends. That also helps us grow this community and reaches more listeners. So we really do appreciate when you do that. And I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you're certain to enjoy called The Secrets of Stargate. And you can find that wherever Find podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Stargate. And definitely check out the most recent release. Uh, I think that's uh, number 133 uh, from the episode Fragile Balance. The opening is, well, let's just say it's special. So definitely yeah. check that out. I don't want to spoil it because it's it's fun, but you definitely want to check that out. <laughs> All right. So we are talking about this uh, 60th anniversary special, the first of the three specials that we're going to be get getting featuring uh, David Tennant as the 14th Doctor, Catherine Tate as Donna Noble. Uh, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens in this one? I can, but first I want to give a special shout out to YouTuber Sikrax Rock. Uh, Sikrax mm-hmm. Rock is a very talented guy. He does a lot of music, and for the past few years he's been doing a project called 13 Songs for 13 Doctors, although it's now been modified to 13-ish songs for 13-ish doctors <laughs> because of do- the Fugitive Doctor and the War Doctor and things like that, um, who are unnumbered doctors. And what he does in this series, we played some of them here on um, on uh, the podcast, but what he does is he takes a song or in his most recent venture, more than one song that was popular while the doctor, a given doctor was on the air. So like for the fourth doctor, he uses the queen song, Bohemian Rhapsody, and then he rewrites it to fit that doctor's adventures. So Bohemian Rhapsody becomes Pridonian Rhapsody since the doctor, as was established in the fourth doctor's time, was a member of the Pridonian house on Gallifrey. And he makes videos, um, that are composed of clips from uh, that doctor's adventures, as well as other new footage. And it's really very well done. There's a lot of really creative video editing. The songs are performed really well. They're very clever. They involve lots of deep cuts and just little references to small things uh, in the doctor's time. He displays an encyclopedic knowledge of the history of Doctor Who. And the songs are just good. Um, and with a few of them, it's taken me more than one listen to, you know, especially if I wasn't familiar with the song to get, you know, it and appreciate it fully, but they're just great. And I have downloaded all the videos. I also stripped the audio from the videos and made a playlist on my phone. And for, uh, for the release of the star beast, he completed the series. 
it's it's been years in the making. There were the eighth doctor, the second doctor, and the first doctor were the last to have their videos done. Um, in recent weeks, he released the eighth doctor and the second doctor, and then on the day of the Star Beast release, he released the the first doctor and bringing the season, bringing the project to a close with where it began with the first doctor. And for this one, he did the Beatles. And he did a Beatles medley, so it wasn't just one song. And these are just so much fun. Um, he's he's unfortunately YouTube, like a lot of really talented YouTubers, YouTube doesn't give him a lot of views. You know, they don't share his videos widely. But he said, if um, it, to, if people you know spread the word, it can help make it worthwhile for him to continue this series. And he does just such creative stuff. I want to give him a big shout out. I want to encourage people to go to Sycorax Rock and and subscribe. It's Sycorax with a Y, just like on the show, just like on Doctor Who. His stuff is so much fun. Uh, I really highly recommend it. So having given my plug, here's what here's what happened in the Star Beast. And wow, is that a lot? So... <gasps> This week, we open with a prologue in which the 14th Doctor explains the situation about Donna Noble and how if she ever remembers him, she'll die. He then lands in contemporary London and immediately runs into Donna and her trans daughter, Rose, but Donna doesn't recognize him. A spaceship almost crashes, but it parks instead, and Unit investigates. The Doctor meets Unit's new scientific advisor, Shirley Ann Bingham, and, who, and she is quite relaxed and trusting towards the Doctor. They hear about another alien report in London, and the doctor goes with unit troops to investigate. After he's gone, some unit soldiers open the spacecraft and become possessed by weird psychedelic energy. Meanwhile, Rose finds an alien escape pod and the alien that escaped in it, Beep the Meep. Beep, who is just called the Meep in this, is super cute and says it's being hunted to death by the Rarth warriors. So Rose hides it in her shed, which is filled with stuffed toys she makes to sell online. She does this because times are hard for the Noble family, as Donna gave away almost all the money she had won with the lottery ticket the doctor secretly gave her the last time they had contact. In addition to Donna and Rose, we also get to meet Donna's husband, Sean, and her mother, Sylvia. We learn that Wilf is in an assisted care facility paid, being paid for by unit. Donna discovers Beep in Rose's shed and freaks out. Sylvia then freaks out, trying to keep Donna away from Beep, lest Donna remember her adventures with the Doctor. And Sylvia freaks out even more when the Doctor shows up in search of Beep. But Donna still doesn't remember him. Beep says that the Rarth warriors cultivated meat kind as livestock for their beautiful fur, but when the galaxy decided fur was bad, they slaughtered their livestock and now they're trying to kill Beep. The Rarth show up at the nobles' residence, along with both possessed and non-possessed unit soldiers, and a huge firefight starts. The Doctor, the nobles, and Beep escape in Sean's taxi cab, but the Doctor senses something is wrong. He puts on a barrister's wig and invokes the Shadow Proclamation to begin a judicial proceeding. He also intercepts a transport beam, bringing two Rarth warriors to the hearing. The Doctor points out that the Rarth have only been using stun weapons, which is inconsistent with Beep's story that they are bent on murder. The Rarth warriors confirm that they are only police seeking Beep as a criminal. They say that the Meep's psychedelic son started acting weird and caused all of Meepkind to become murderous. A great battle was fought, but other than rather than surrender, the Meep committed suicide except for Beep, their leader. 
When the doctor asks Beep for its side of the story, Beep does a sudden and complete heel turn and reveals itself to be a vicious psychopathic killer. It shoots the Rarth warriors dead. Then it kidnaps the nobles and takes them to its spaceship, planning to eat them later. The spaceship uses a drive that will destroy London and kill 9 million people. With the help with help from Unit, the nobles escape, except for Donna, who is now beginning to remember the Doctor, and willingly stays to help him. The Doctor and Donna board Beep's ship to deactivate its drive, but the Doctor can't do it alone. He tells Donna that there is a way to save London, that together they can shut off the drive, but it means that she'll die. Donna consents, and the Doctor restores her memories. Donna emits a burst of Time Lord-looking energy, and together they shut down the drive. Donna then appears to die, and Beep's mind can Controlled warriors show up to kill the doctor. However, Rose fiddles with some controls and releases them from mind control. Also, Donna isn't dead after all. It turns out that when Donna had a child, part of the Time Lord made a crisis mind passed on to Rose. And when Donna's memories were restored, the mind activated in Rose so that Donna doesn't have to share the burden of it alone and they can handle it. Beep then threatens to detonate the ship's drive and kill everyone, including itself, if it can't leave, but the Doctor ejects Beep in an escape pod and it's taken into custody. Afterwards, Donna and Rose let go of the Meta Crisis Time Lord mind they share so that it won't bother them in the future, and the nobles say goodbye to the Doctor. It's decided that Donna will take one quick trip to visit Wilf in the old folks' home and let him know that Donna has her memories safely back so he doesn't have to hide stuff from her anymore. But Donna spills coffee in the new TARDIS interior, causing it to freak out and take off for parts unknown. The end. <laughs> Whew. Yeah. <laughs> that was an action-packed story. Uh, so, yes, very good job there, Jim. Jimmy, <clears throat> sorry. I didn't call you Jim. I just had a frog in my throat. That's okay. <laughs> I've been called worse. I know, but I know that's not your name. So, uh, Father Corey, what's your impression overall of this story? There was so much in this story to like. I mean, let's just to start with the end. Of course, Donna wrecks the new TARDIS. <laughs> of course she does. That's of just course. gotta happen. Uh, no, there's there was so much in here that was so like the the meep is such a great uh, villain. Beep is such a great villain. Uh, it was great to see Doc, the Doctor and Donna together again, and, well, being the Doctor and Donna together. Uh, th there's, there's, there's the whole story itself, which we'll talk about, you know, came from a comic book before, is a, is a good story. It's a fun story. Interesting story. Of course, you get that that twist where, oh, yeah, Meep is this poor, innocent creature that wants to eat you and destroy the planet or at least all of London, you know, stuff like that. So it was that there's a good story. There was a lot in here. Well, again, we'll talk about in a little bit that wasn't so good, but the story itself, I really enjoyed. And it, there, there was a lot of it that I really did enjoy. Jimmy, your overall impression? Well, I agree with Father Corey. There was a lot to enjoy in it. Um, I mean, it certainly was much more entertaining than Chris Chibnall's era. Um, I, I thought overall for a beginning episode that is meant to introduce Doctor Who to a new audience, they did pretty well. Um, you know, they had a certain number of tick boxes they had to address, like, you know, Donna's memories, um, what her current situation is, why the doctor's face came back, which is the 10th doctor's face came back for the 14th, which they still haven't addressed yet. They also set up a larger arc for the three 
uh, specials because as Beep is leaving, he says he's going to tell the boss about the doctor. So that's a reference to the big bad that we'll meet at the final level of the game in in <laughs> in um, in uh, special three. Um, and spoiler, it's going to be the, the toy maker. Um, there a lot of it, though, I thought was just kind of middling. I mean, this was not like Blink or Midnight or Silence in the Library. To me, it was not super genius Doctor Who. It was middling, okay, fine Doctor Who. Um, the gun battle in particular between the Rarth and the possessed and non-possessed unit soldiers, it went on for too long. I thought it was boring. Um, and, you know, which is a typical thing, I think, in gun battles and car chases because... They don't really advance the plot. They're just action that gets put on the scene and that kills runtime. Um, so it was, you know, I'd, I'd say it was fine for an episode to reintroduce this or to introduce this new era of the Doctor and to introduce the Doctor to a new audience. It was fine, but I didn't think it was anything to write home about. It was okay. So for my part, I think the addition or return of Catherine Tate and David Tennant uh, made was a big part of what made this story as good as it was. I enjoyed it, except for a few uh, bits that we'll we'll talk about. Um, but yeah, I th- I think the return of David Tennant, especially in contrast, and and to the 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 essentially the tenth Doctor because he he acts just like the tenth uh, tenth Doctor, uh, even though he's the fourteenth. Um, the return with some modifications. Yes, mm-hmm. a, few, a, a little bit. Yep. Um, but that return, in contrast to what we've had recently with the Thirteenth Doctor, I think you know raises the game a bit. You know, I think it may, it um, makes it better in, in that yeah. sense. Because um, I, the Tenth Doctor was one. Of, I think perhaps my favorite of the new. Uh, of the new who doctors, uh, certainly. Um, he, he's certainly way more engaging and likable than Jodie Whittaker's doctor. Yes, yes. And Donna, I mean, Donna is one mm-hmm. of my favorite companions overall. So uh, she's always fun to have to have her there. So it was great to have Donna back. Um, the it, interesting, I should point out, we've discussed a story involving Beep the Meep that has not yet been released. It's going to it'll be out in a few weeks. Um I forget. I think it's after the Christmas special that it com- that we're going to be. Yeah, it is after the Christmas special. We've already recorded that, so I knew who Beep was. But if I didn't know um, anything about Beep the Meep, it would have been fun to have this switcheroo, this this villain, as we discuss in that, a villain who plays on all of our, our biases to toward uh, in favor of cute things, and then switches the game right at the last minute on us, or you know, at the at the climactic point uh, on us. Uh, that's a fun twist to to get because our biases against the Rorth who are insectoid and in favor of cute furry big eyed thing, which is small. Uh, so I, I do like that that play on on our uh, expectations there. The story we did, by the way, is a big finish sixth sixth Doctor story called Ratings War. Yep, yep, and uh, I and I really <laughs> this is me being ship geek sort of. I love the redesign of the TARDIS. It is Mm -hmm. a great combination of classic who modern who, especially in contrast to the 13th doctor's TARDIS. It is, Mm. it is for me, nigh on perfect. 
yeah, it's it's bigger. The, the console room is bigger. It's airier. It's lighter. You can actually see the console room on like <laughs> the thirteenth. Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 great scene with with David Tennant with the fourteenth Doctor running around. It changed. It's great. This is wonderful. <laughs> you know <laughs> what what it looks like for those who haven't seen it yet is it incorporates. So beginning with New Who, the console room in the TARDIS was kind of big and spherical. You know, and it still is big and spherical, except they've stripped out all the junk. Mm. And so it doesn't have coral pillars. It doesn't have crystal towers. It doesn't have, you know, a bazillion random objects integrated into the control table. They they took the styling from the classic era. So it's got roundels. It's white. It looks very clean. It looks very stylish. Um, it, it, it looks it's basically a big sphere patterned off the classic white roundel style from the classic era. Yeah, it's it's more similar to to um, the eleventh and twelfth Doctor's console room, you know, the more mechanical one. Insofar, it's got multiple levels and it's got corridor, you know, you know, open underneath where you can get underneath and work on the console and things like that. Yeah, it's it's really a nice palette for them to to create stories on on top of. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, before we get into like the story elements themselves, this uh, one of the things you mentioned, Jimmy, this is reintroducing Doctor Who to a whole new audience because for the first time, Doctor Who is now on Disney Plus in America, uh, which is means a you know like I said a whole huge well, new potential audience. It's not just on Disney Plus, but Disney actually paid for the production of this, paid the BBC right. and Bad Wolf Studios, which is Russell T Davies, for. To, to produce this so right at the end credits you know they show all the studios involved in disney's logo is right next to the bbc's logo right yeah and they paid part of it not all of it yeah and it's also worldwide on on disney plus and that's the one thing i want to get is, is the the of, you know the you could see the influence of Disney money and technical expertise in the the technical aspect of the show is that first shot of the tardis above london or just flying above london I was, I said to my wife, I said, you know, wow, like <laughs> that is as brilliantly clear and beautifully done as any special effects shot I've seen in Doctor Who. Uh, and, you know, right from the start in the special, lots of special effects, lots of big, you know, expansive uh, sets and set pieces and that sort of thing. Um, you could really see the influence of, you know, a bigger budget on this mm -hmm. and access to better tools or perhaps. Well, as a result of the finances, yeah, I don't know that they had, you know, personnel transfers from Disney or anything. Um, one thing that I wanted to mention is the opening and closing credits, uh, mm -hmm. which are have been redone. Um, they incorporate some elements of recent things like a little bit of the purple from Chris Chibnall's era, but the there's a new visualization of the time vortex. And in the opening credits, they do something that they haven't really done before. You know, in the new Who era, in the, in the classic Who era, we would, like in Tom Baker and John Pertwee's time, we would just be flying through the time vortex. In the new Who era, we would often see the TARDIS flying through the time vortex, beginning with the Ninth Doctor and through the Eleventh. Um, here, we do have the TARDIS flying through the time vortex, which is very intricately rendered. It's it, 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 the, the graphics are much crisper mm -hmm. 
than yep. they have been. But we also see the time vortex interact, the TARDIS interacting with the clouds uh, in the circles of the time vortex that we're going through, and it surfs them. So it it looks like the TARDIS is, you know, an upright, it, it's not a surfboard that lays flat, but it's like an upright, you know, structure that is surfing the waves of of the time vortex and so the bottom of the tardis will 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 interact and disperse a little bit of the clouds as it's flying along through the time vortex so that's the and i think that's a really cool effect i think mm-hmm. it looks nice to have the tardis surfing the clouds of the time vortex then at the just int- speak real yeah. quick about the, mm-hmm. the intro um so the clouds that jimmy's talking about for those who haven't seen it it looks very similar to the 11th doctor intro where you see the tardis spinning through the clouds and gets hit by lightning and things like that very similar effect to that yeah with the surfing edition yeah, yeah with um, the surfing edition yeah and then for the closing credits we get a we get another flight through the time vortex but it's different Instead, we don't see the TARDIS. We just see circles of time vortex clouds coming directly at the camera mm-hmm. and passing us by. So it's like you're flying through the center of the time vortex. And it's it it's a nice visual difference. I mean, it also looks nice, but mm-hmm. um, but it's different than what we see in the opening credits. Mm. And the, the theme, of course, has been redone again. Murray Gold is back to redo the theme and very upbeat again. You know, he, you know, hit. Every version of the thing that he's done has always been fairly upbeat. Well, this I think this is even more upbeat than like the ninth and tenth Doctor's era. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I there agree. was a yeah. kind of darkness in the um, in the eleventh Doctor's era mm-hmm. to the yep. theme. Right, right. So uh, the there's a recap that we get at the beginning, but it's not exactly just like last time on Doctor Who or previously on Doctor Who. It's the fourteenth Doctor sort of narrating his. Uh, time with Donna as a way of introducing the, this problem, which is I've, I'm being drawn toward Donna and, you know, how do I, you know, and, and that's a problem because, and so we, we have like a lot of these images from his various adventures with Donna and the, you know, mm-hmm. wiping her memories. Uh, it's very interesting to to see that laid out there for us. No, it does that. And then it flashes back and forth with Donna who, yeah is describing her dreams where she's remembering everything that happened, but as dreams. So she knows something's wrong. She knows she's missing something. Mm -hmm. You know, of course this Donna, she misses things, but she knows that there's parts of her life. She doesn't remember. She doesn't know. And she feels, and she even used the language of there's a storm coming. You know, of course the 10th doctor was the oncoming storm. I'm sure that was a callback to that. There's a storm coming. And she says, it's, it's about to break. It's about to hit. Yeah, she also um, she also alludes in in the story itself to back when I forgot everything. She knows she had a, a break of some kind that involved amnesia. She doesn't know mm-hmm. what was in the amnesia, and Sylvia tells her it's nothing. But she knows there's a gap in her memories. Um, the as far as the effectiveness of the prologue. If you're introducing it to a new audience or an audience that may have forgotten, I think this is about the best you could do because mm-hmm. the alternative would be to scatter the if you've determined you're going to have, you know, effectively the 10th Doctor and Donna back together again, then you got to address this issue. And the alternative to doing it in a prologue where you just give an exposition dump to the audience and get it out of the way would be trying to scatter it 
in the dialogue of the episode itself and let the audience piece it together. And that would be that's that's possible, but it's harder to do in an artistically satisfying way. So I can see with let's just go with a dramatic monologue, dump all the information on the audience and then we can start the story. Right. And we have you know, one of the things that we were told from the you know, from the last time they met was if the if if she even sees the doctor, she may have this break. It will kill her like it would it will break through her memory block and she it will kill her. Um, and so we get confronted with that, like right off the bat. I don't think it was ever state, stated mm-hmm. that adamantly. It's, I don't it was Sylvia remem- thinks it. If she yeah. sees him. Yeah. She may remember, and if she remembers, it will kill her. Right. right, right. And Sylvia took that to mean that even if he sees, if she sees him at all, right. that's going to kill her. And that's why you get the great scene where he's he's bursting in the door, and she smacks him. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> Sylvia never liked the doctor from the beginning, and uh, that continues now. Uh, so I thought it was interesting. So the, he encounters Donna randomly in the marketplace. I think I thought it was interesting how we learned early on Donna gave away 166 million pounds lottery less house, less, less the cost of a house that she bought. Um, and she, you know, we we find out later that she did it because she had this innate need to emulate the doctor. And that's the thing he would mm-hmm. do. He would give money away to help people. And she kind of resents him for it once she remembers why. I think it's kind of funny how that sort of Donna's personality is that I, I gave away $166 million because you were living in my head. Why, why, yeah. <laughs> why did you make me do that? And she kind of blames him for it, which I, th- I thought was uh, pretty funny. Um, so we we also get to see her family, Rose and uh, her husband, Sean, who is coming back, who's now a cab driver. Uh, we it, had a, it, was so, it was so nice to get to know Sean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Because we'd seen him before in the Donna wedding scene, which was just a little, it's just like one scene. And he didn't even have any lines. Right. And g- getting to get to know Sean was really nice. And he's a nice guy. And they got that actor from that one scene, mm-hmm. which is great. I'm glad he was uh, available to do it. That's that's really cool. Um, and we get a reference to Nerys, which is uh, oh Nerys. I always say Nerys because it's Star Trek. Nerys, um, her friend. We I don't think we ever saw Nerys on screen. No, we did. We did. oh we did. Okay, but she's like this frenemy. <laughs> and the doctor yeah. claims that oh he knows Donna through Neris and you know that, that just the comedy gold out of that I like that a lot yeah. that was fun how's she doing oh she's doing great well she had an accident well, she's not doing that great it was her <laughs> fault well she was doing great <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and so pretty you know right off the bat we have this crashing ship and the the meep gets introduced uh, it's interesting the doctor in this doesn't recognize beep the meep and so mm-hmm. we should explain to everyone who beep the meep is within doctor who quote-unquote canon as much as that exists jimmy can you explain beep the meep he's a war criminal <laughs> yeah and we saw him Buzzy. or fans Buzzy may have seen criminal. him previously in uh comics right there was yeah. a he was introduced in 1975 if i recall correctly maybe sometime between 75 and 80 um, in a fourth Doctor story in the comics, it was also called the Star Beast. It has a similar plot, but it's not exactly the same. Um, 
and the Rarth warriors in it are using lethal weapons. They're not just using stun weapons. So that's a change. Um, but basically, Beep is super cute. But otherwise, the the premise of the story pretty much tracks. In that, the Rarth warriors, in the comic book version, the Rarth warriors explain that the Meep's son, which was a black son rather than a psychedelic son, um, went started acting strangely, caused the Meep to mutate and become murderous. And and Beep is is this one that survived and is trying to trying to do bad in the universe. Um, Beep then has made a few other appearances, both in the comics and in that audio story that uh, that we reviewed. So um, he's established. But since the doctor doesn't recognize him here, that's a sign that the time time war is the reconciliation. Time wars rewrite history. And so that's why the doctor doesn't remember. Right, Mm. right. Um, so, um, yeah. and, and it, you might hear that the original Star Beast comic is called the, the, the Stan Lee comic, one of the Stan Lee comics, because at the time, Doc, the Doctor Who comics were published by Marvel when Stan Lee right. was, and it actually said produced or, you know, presented by Stan Lee on the front cover right. of it, but right. it was not written by him. He didn't illustrate or anything like that. He was, he was obviously in charge of Marvel at the time, the producer of Marvel at the time. So, right, right. Uh, I, I, w- it was very curious to me, the doctor doctor's relationship to unit, because, you know, when he shows up at this factory unit is very, you know, they're, they're hauling off uh, reporters on doing live broadcasts to, to, mm-hmm. to prevent things from, you know, from getting out. The doctor doesn't just walk up to unit and say, Hey, I'm the doctor. You remember me uh, from such, you know, previous incarnations as a, as a third doctor. Uh, no, he sneaks in. And I'm like, why is the doctor sneaking in? Well, the explain sort of that he just, doesn't want to be seen by them um he doesn't he because since he doesn't know why well he's, he's back he's, he's trying to figure himself out and in and when um the the scientific advisor she mentions you know well how do you know all these things that's your future it's like no this act that's actually my past and this is the same face i've had before he didn't want to have that conversation i think is what it was mm-hmm. right on the other hand, what I like about Shirley Ann Bingham, who is the new scientific Shirley, advisor, yeah, um, is that she she treats the doctor uh, oftentimes when the doctor has reunions with unit, they're very tense mm-hmm. and there's none of that here. She she knows who the doctor is. She does. She's very relaxed about him being here. She trusts him. She's not trying to compel him to do anything um, when he says he's going to go investigate this other alien sighting that's been reported she just says fine i've got this one you know right it's it's very professional it's very relaxed it's very trusting i like that yeah i I like the i like that where she you know the doc she just starts talking to the doctor and she knows exactly who he is and and he says yeah she introduced herself as the 56th science advisor of unit and he says i'm number one she's like i know i've read your file matter of fact i'm gonna get a i'm gonna get a bonus just for meeting you (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. right right i like that yeah 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 i'm i was number one yeah i know (laughs) like it was just like very casual i i have heard some question that and say it was really um uh i'm having the i'm I'm having a name collision in my head. It was really the the first scientific advisor was really units. Liz, Liz Shaw. Yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, but maybe you can argue against that and say, oh, maybe Patrick Troughton's second doctor was its first scientific advisor. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, there you go. Right, right, right. That's true. That's true. Uh, they, he's, he was working with unit before. Um, the 
uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, what, what the other thing about. But oh, in that scene before he meets, uh, is it Beverly? Uh, Shirley. Shirley. Uh, Shirley must be joking. Uh, Shirley. Uh, that's how I'm going to remember now. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. He he's got his new Sonic, and he's doing some new things with this new Sonic. He, mm-hmm. At one point, he draws a monitor in the air, and he's using yeah. it to to look at data. The the Sonic has a GUI now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He he also ha- he also draws barriers that will stop become force fields and stop bullets. Mm-hmm. And they don't. I like that they it, it, that they don't introduce this with any dialogue. They don't have the doctor explaining it does new stuff now or I've added functionality. He just starts doing it. Mm-hmm. And and for the new audience who doesn't know the history of the show, they'll just accept this. They won't even realize. Oh, this is something new. Mm-hmm. And, and and by the way, it actually looks like a sonic screwdriver. Yes. It's a proper sonic screwdriver again. Yes. Yeah, it's not that weird melted organic-y shape that the 13th Doctor had, which was yeah. terrible. <laughs> uh, and it, 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 what is it? Sonics are really good at um, vibrating, resonating concrete. And I like how mm-hmm. Sean points out it's it's actually just grout. It's not concrete. Yeah, it's, it's, mason <laughs> it's masonry. Yeah. yeah, it's masonry. It's yeah. <laughs> Close enough. It'll vibrate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. This this comes up in a scene where they're in order to escape the boring gun battle, which is, of course, something we all want to do um, <laughs> is they go up into the attic in the tract house that uh, the nobles live in. And the houses are right next to each other with like a brick wall separating them. And so now that they're up in the attic, they can, the doctor uses his sonic to to deteriorate the mortar between the bricks so they can just push the bricks over and make it through into the next house's attic. And they go through multiple houses that way until they get to where they can come down to street level and get in Sean's taxi. Right. Um, there, there is a, a couple of lines before they, before they get to that. One is that the doctor says, um, I think he says to Shirley, I don't believe in destiny, but if destiny exists, it's headed right for Donna. And so this, mm-hmm. uh, he's got this sense that, Something is draw, drawing him to Donna at this time. And I'm wondering what that is. We don't get a resolution for that. It's, it's going to be the toy maker. It's going to be right. Yep. Right. Um, somehow yeah, the toy he, maker. Times he mentions yeah. how like the universe is surround is circling her and drawing yeah. her, drawing him in. Right. It's going to be the basis of these three 60th anniversary specials uh, going to be to why Donna, why this face? I mean, that's really mm-hmm. the, the only que- the, the big questions that we're answering here. Uh, we we find out where Wilf is, as you mentioned, Jimmy, that uh, Kate Lethbridge-Stewart has uh, pledged to take care of old soldiers. And I like how the doctor says, I love that man. And yep. I'm with I'm with you, doctor. I love Wilf. He's the best. And it's kind of a really awkward scene where, you know, they said, well, he's not with us anymore. And of course, all of us would think, oh, that's, you know, because that's always yeah. often, very often, you know, the euphemism, euphemism. Saying he's died, <laughs> you know. And so he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I love that man. I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. And Sylvia immediately, you idiot. <laughs> he's 94. He's in a nursing and we can't get up and down the stairs. Yeah. Uh, the uh, we will see Wilf in uh, one of the specials because uh, we, we, we know from the behind the, the scenes. Should the be third, the third. Likely. Yeah. Um, so I do. And I do like the the name drop of Kate uh, that she's that she's involved with uh, old soldiers, which is nice. Um, I I have to say that uh, I noticed with the uh, the Rorth, the, the the insectoid creatures, their weapons 
not being very effective. I noticed them bouncing off of things. I'm like, well, that's weird. Why'd they do that? That looks terrible. Why didn't they make it look more realistic? Uh, oh, it's part of the plot that they are. Uh, they're using stun yeah. weapons and not. Uh, yeah. Destructive. The car, the car gets shot up and nothing happens to it. Yeah. You know, no scorch marks or nothing. Yeah. For once, there's an explanation for why no one gets injured in the dramatic gun battle. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and you uh, see that you see when they get to the car that there was a unit soldier that got knocked out, you know, got got hit mm-hmm. and the doctor goes up and checks his pulse and you see, wait, what? Right. Yeah. And apparently something's, the ro- something's wrong here. The Rorth are uh, impervious to bullets. They, they, they're they not getting um, damaged by the bullets. So that's good, too. Uh, so I, and then we have the doctor invoking the shadow proclamation in this, this scene uh, and the twist, the the reveal of the meep. Um, and I've, again, talked to a couple of fans who were like, whoa, and some said, oh, I saw that come in. Um, but others were surprised. Uh, I, I kind of wish I was surprised, too. <laughs> like, I kind of <laughs> wish I didn't know ahead of time who uh, the Meep was. Uh, uh, what did you think of the this the revelation, this, this the, the way they did it? I know it wasn't a revelation for any of us, but what do you think of this twist? I thought they handled it fine. Um, I didn't mind knowing that the Meep was the villain. I just think of, to me, I've been familiar with Beep the Meep long enough that he's just part of the Doctor Who universe furniture to me. So it's like, you know, I know going in. So for me, the interest is not who is he, but how is he how is he playing this scenario? You know, is he coming off as effectively a good guy? in before the reveal mm. and then how effectively is he a bad guy after the reveal? And he's really effectively a bad guy after the reveal. Oh, yeah. he, he develops fangs and, and scowly eyes. And so his physical appearance changes. Um, and he, and he was genuinely seeming cute and innocent beforehand. So I'm, to me, I'm just watching beep play innocent and oh they're doing that effectively and then here's the reveal oh yeah he's really psychopathically deranged now there's a great scene kind of pulled from et when uh rose has found uh meep the meep and brought it back to her shed shed shed, rose's shed and um where rose has a side business making toys that Stuff toys, you know, stuff, to, stuffed animals. Yeah, to sell mm-hmm. on eBay or whatever. Um, but all it turns out, as we'll find out later, that all the stuffed animals are variations, cute variations on all of the doctors, all of the bad, crazy creatures. Not even, not necessarily even the bad ones, but the aliens that Donna all encountered in her adventures with the doctor. Um, but me ends up having to hide in the pile of stuffed animals when yeah. Donna comes in and like. She's like, that's, that's right the out best of one. Yeah. Right, right out of ET. Yeah. Although in Donna being Donna, like will not let it go and walks in. If she doesn't let it go and walks in and uh, pokes me right in the eye. I'm like, oh, that just painful. And <laughs> I, I wondered if that's there's actually an eye touching thing in the original Star Beast comic story that I think may have inspired that. Um, because in the original comic story, the doctor meets the Rarth warriors in the dark 
and they have these glowing red circular eyes. And he thinks one of them is an, an, a light bulb. And he's like trying to screw the Rarth Warrior's <laughs> eye at like a light bulb and to make it brighter. And then the real lights come on and it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that was your eye. Yeah. <laughs> Donna was so great, though, because Rose like, let's go. It's time to go eat. We got to get we got to get going. We got to go do this. And she's oh, let's do it. She's looking left. She looks right. She just keeps keeps at it. That woman from Abu, he, Abu Dhabi is blinks. definitely going to want that. Yeah. yeah then then the meat uh, blinks and she's like, what was that? That was the that was the reveal in E.T., you know, when E.T., the E.T. Uh, blinked in, in, in that movie. Uh, so, yes, that, that was a nice little callback there. Um, so we have this drama that the, the doctor, we kind of get this this created dramatic situation where the only way for the doctor to save London from the dagger drive, uh, which is powered by the destroying everything within five mi- square miles, um, that we've we create this art of artificial it's all artificial drama i suppose but create this drama where the only way for the doctor to stop it is if donna remembers uh because they're they're separated inside the spaceship and she needs to do something to the controls on her side uh that she has to remember and uh and and i you know you know that she's not going to die i mean i i suppose i suppose Within, if you if you just limit your understanding, your knowledge to just this special, and you don't know that there are more Doctor Donna specials coming, I suppose that makes it more dramatic. But it just, I don't know, it just didn't feel dramatic to me. Uh, mm. I, I I so I don't care okay. that 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 I know Donna is going to live. I want Donna to live. The question is, how do they bring her? How do they bring her memories back without killing her? Right. And this is a plausible in order to to have have her memories. They either emerge naturally or the doctor deliberately brings them back. And the latter is the is the is the more interesting dramatic choice. And then you need a motivator to get the doctor to do that. So you have to put him in a situation where doctor where Donna needs those memories back. And so, you know, I recognize what they're doing. They gave me what I wanted, which is Donna with her memories back without dying. Yeah. Well, this is a lot of the argument when, Oh no, the crew of the enterprise is in terrible danger. How are they I going suppose. to survive this? Cause we know they're going to survive because they've got another episode next week, but sure. how are they going to survive? You yeah. know, and, and, I, and I think as far as that's concerned, as far as the part with her getting her memories back and surviving, I think that was a good explanation. Mm-hmm. Now the explanation of just letting go of the metacrisis oh, in the first that was place stupid. was yeah. where I think it fell down. The whole part of, I mean, her all, you know, her getting her memories back and, you know, the doctor using his voice, voice command password to wake her up, to reactivate her was that was great because she's like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? What are you talking about? Why? Why do you keep mentioning this all of a sudden? And she changes and it's, she starts yeah. repeating with the doctor and then taking over and then which is very midnight. Donna. But yeah. 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 Well, and then then she. Then she lets into the doctor about what you, you did this and you did that. And I gave away all my money because of you. And okay, now let's break things. Right. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. That was a great scene. I mean, that was it, really well done. Yeah. Cause what he does in order to restore her memories, he doesn't just like touch her head and which he can't at this point, cause he's on the other side of a barrier and telepathically do it. He starts repeating a series of code words. 
And all of none of those code words taken in isolation would bring the memories back. But when you put all those code words together in a sequence, it it causes the memories to reemerge. And I thought that was very effectively done. I like that. What Father Corey was alluding to, though, is how they get rid of the Metacrisis mind is stupid. So here we go with the worst parts of the episode. Um, and I'm going to take a step back for a second. So in this episode, we basically get two new characters. Shirley Ann Bingham and Rose Noble. Both of them are representation characters. Shirley Ann Bingham is in a wheelchair. Rose Noble is is a trans woman. Okay, um, this is this is I, I can put up with representation characters to a degree. The I don't have any problem with seeing different groups of people represented on screen, but when it gets blown out of proportion. To where it's completely unrealistic for people you meet in, you know, you meet way more representation characters in a story than what you meet in real life. It damages the art. And that's what's happening here. We of all the new people we meet, there's only there's only two major characters. Both of them are representation and both of them uh, are have have the representation handled to in ways that are to a degree stupid. The first thing I thought when we met Shirley Ann Bingham in the the, the ruins of the steelwork where the um where the where Beep's ship set down is this is a military zone where conflict may break out. This is a hazardous zone. Why are you having a person in a wheelchair in this zone? I don't care if she's scientific advisor. She's a liability to the soldiers who are there. Mm -hmm. She can do her job of advising over a radio or a phone. She does not need to be a large, immobile object, slowly moving object in a situation where conflict could break out and you need to move fast. Yeah. Um, They they even call that out. They even call mm -hmm. that out where they have to go up to the ship. And oh, sorry, man. Sorry, man, for about the the stairs. Yeah, the soldier couldn't do anything about the stairs. I actually liked what her reaction there. She said, don't let don't make me the problem. Go do what you need to do. Fine. But you shouldn't have been here anyway. Um, So and then, of course, later, it turns out she's got weapons built into her wheelchair, which uh, I guess. okay, if you're going to be the scientific advisor for unit, uh, maybe. But. um, Um. It, I, I admit, it's a I little think it's a little silly and cliche. I don't know if I if, if I have ever have to have a wheelchair in my future. Uh, <laughs> I want a rocket pill grenade mounted to it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that works. Yeah. So then we have Rose. And so Rose is uh, was apparently born, a you know, was born is a boy was born a boy named Jason. She later under the influence of the made a crisis mind that was making her subconsciously make all those stuffed toy monsters um, and aliens then picked the name Rose for for herself. Um, they acknowledge. So apparently there's a scene which I did, it went by me. Um, early on where some some local boys are riding by Rose and taunting him with the name Jason. Uh, and then you have a scene where Sylvia and Donna are both they both confess some awkwardness around Rose and, you know, like they'll slip and use masculine pronouns uh, for Rose. And like, duh, they've known him 
as a boy for most of, you know, for the last 15 years or something. So, of course, that kind of thing is going to happen. And there are other situations where you meet a trans person and it's just obvious that they're not really the sex they're portraying themselves <laughs> as. And that that, you know, is going to lead to use of natural pronouns instead of their preferred pronouns. But at least they acknowledged this and weren't like super judgy about it. You know that this is a human reality. So if you're going to have a trans character in your show, that's a good thing to do to acknowledge that it's a human thing to have slip ups and use their non preferred pronouns. And it's not the freaking end of the world. Um, where it got really stupid was at the very end, because um, so I can buy that Rose's ch that Donna's child is going to inherit part of the Meta Crisis mind, and that's going to take some of the burden off of Donna, so she doesn't have to die. Okay, fine. I can, that's all fine. Um, and then when Donna has her memories restored, that can cause the Meta Crisis mind to activate in Rose, and so she now knows how to operate these space controls and unhypnotize the hypnotized guard. That's all fine. But then when they come to the act of what are we going to do about a long-term solution? Because apparently it would be bad to have the Meta Crisis mind in the Doctor and Rose long-term, in Donna and Rose long-term. Um, Donna and, and, and Rose announce a solution to the Doctor, which they say would never occur to a male-presenting Time Lord. Um, and it's that they're just going to let the Meta Crisis mind go. And they let it go and release it so they don't have it anymore, so it won't cause a problem for them anymore. Okay. Um, no, that's just stupid. Yes. Um, it, 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 it's, it's like what? You're saying this would have occurred to Jodie Whittaker, but it won't occur to David Tennant because he presents as a male? That's just dumb. The same ideas a, a, a present, a, occur to everybody regardless of how they present themselves to the world. This is some kind of feminist triumph, girls rule, boys drool thing, which is just stupid and is especially inappropriate in a show about um, about a, a time lord who changes genders and not even human and is not <laughs> even human. I mean, this is just this is just dumb. I right. mean, I could kind of I, I, I was irked by, but could kind of tolerate Jodie Whittaker's references to her new sex as an upgrade. Um, but okay, guys, we've done that. It's time to move on, and this is just. This is this is not an effective explanation for why this solution did not occur to the doctor. You need to you need to do better, uh, Russell T. Davies. This right. is not a good explanation. You have a real problem here. Why? If this is a solution, why didn't the doctor propose it? And this is a bad answer to that question. It's very hand wavy, sort of. You know, we need to, the the meta crisis is an inconvenience to what we're trying to do here. So let's just hand wave it away. Just let it go. Because and just the stupidity of the idea that women are better at letting things go than men are. I mean, men and women both. You know, there are some who are good at holding on to things, and some who are bad at holding things. It's not a male female thing. It's just a human difference. Uh, so that was stupid, and I, I found I kind of I I don't know. I just feel like it's kind of bizarre that they make this. They take something which is a huge deal in society right now, which is uh, children. Uh, claiming to be transgender and make it 
an alien crisis thing. So, so Rose is only thinking that he's a girl because of an alien influence on his brain. Well, I, I didn't get that. No, that see that that part right there. It, actually, that's where Rose at the end says, "Well, I feel myself finally." You know, where once the metacrisis is gone, because now now Rose can be Rose, not just controlled by the metacrisis. Well, and and you know the funny part is they act. There was the whole thing about you know the binary between the doctor is a male and Donna is a female, but that also works with Rose, who is biologically male. Presenting as female, but biologically male, and Donna, who's female. Yeah, you still that, have the same thing. So it's that, just that makes no sense. Yeah, all that uh, talk about binary and non-binary and male and female at the end—it made no sense. It yeah. didn't make well, any sense. And you know, we've talked on the show before about you know message in fiction versus message fiction. You know, yes, there are going to be messages that are put in fiction. There's you know they're going to have the the, the things they want to show and the things they want to tell. Doctor Who's always had political statements and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you can go back to the green death of the third doctor and all that, but it's different between having a message and the show is the message. And this, that's that ending is where it fell into the show became the message. The The story was wrapped around the message instead of the message being put into the story. And, and it, this is where, you, you know, you, you, and Christian fiction can do it too. And conservative fiction can do it too. A lot you know, of Christian so fiction is terrible because it's yeah. too message oriented. It's, it's right. preachy. I mean, there's literally, there's a popular series of books left behind where like the last half of the series is basically preaching. It's, you know, the, the pastor wrote preaching, you know, his homilies into this book. And that's what happened here because you got the transgender issue and you've got misandry. You've got, you know, the women, women rule, men drool, basically. You know, because there, there, there's a whole thing about where, well, male, male appearing, presenting Time Lord wouldn't understand this, but women will. And then you see that uh, you see Shirley Ann, she got like this looking at Donna with kind of a smirk on her face. And it's like, uh, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So in terms of one question we should ask, in, because this is one of the problems with Chris Chibnall's era, um, there is way too much you know, left of center cultural politics stuff. And um, and it was one of the things that hampered his tenure on the show. Um, th so I can put up with, you know, authors expressing their ideas in the show. But it, per Mark Twain's dictum, it should not be overt. And here is pretty darn overt. So if this is what Russell T. Davies does coming out of the gate, it's not an auspicious sign for the future. Mm. My hope is that, okay, now that he's made his statement, he'll back off and 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 it won't be such a prominent thing and we can just focus on good storytelling. And he can be a really good storyteller. Um, I mean, he wrote Midnight, which to my mind is it's better than Blink. It's better than Silence in the Library. To my mind, of any single episode, Midnight is the best Doctor Who story ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, he can be a very effective storyteller now that he's made his opening statement. I hope he can back off from that, but because he made it his opening statement, I'm going to notice when he's, when he's, you know, a little more than I would otherwise, if he's, if he's putting this kind of, of homosexual agenda stuff into the show. I agree. 
Yeah. It, I mean, it will lessen my desire to want to watch Doctor Who in the future if the, if it's going to be a steady diet of this sort of thing, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and we, we talked last week about the issue with uh, Davros not being in a wheelchair and that he's yeah, explicitly that said, dumb. this is because we don't want to show people in wheelchair as bad. And it, it's unfortunately, this is this is a very disturbing trend from Russell T. Davies. He's saying a lot of things, you know, this this, this choice to to cast a transgender woman actor as Rose was a conscious choice by Russell T. Davies. Well, and they've had trans actors on the show before in um, in sleep in sleep. No more. The Mr. Sandman 12th Doctor story. Um, one, I forget what they call them, but the uh, the there there are artificial humans that are used as a kind of military lower class. You know, grunts, or I, it, mm-hmm. that's not the term they use, but it's something like that. Um, well, okay, so the, the I'm just going to say grunts because you know, that's not really what the word means in real life. Um, it, but the grunt character in that you know platoon of people is is was was a trans man, you know, or something like that. Is is some kind of trans actor, um, and but they didn't make a I big deal out of it. it. They didn't yep, make right. a big deal out of it, so it wasn't a big deal. But here they make a big deal out of it. Right. It's like in Star Trek Discovery when they made a big deal out of the young person that was non-binary and a big deal out of the trans, uh, you know, other young person. And it's right. It's it, and to the me, gay marriage. And yeah, right. And to me, it's it's disturbing because it's a it's where they're portraying a young person, you know, uh, and th- that there's all kinds of political stuff. I don't want to get into regarding that, but oh, just scientific stuff. There's evidence that um, that that uh, rapid onset gender dysphoria, in, especially in young women, is a social contagion. And if you start mutilating your body, I mean, this is something that will correct itself substantially in the next 10 years mm-hmm. because because our society is so crazy on this right now. And there are lawsuits written all over this. Yeah. Where 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 members of the healthcare community rammed these children through these surgical and hormonal processes that will permanently damage them. And when the social contagion wears off. They're going to realize, man, I made horrible mistakes and the adults and medical professionals around me facilitated that. There are going to be all kinds of lawsuits about this in a very few years, and this will retreat. Yeah, it's but already begun. This is, yeah. this is feeding it right now. Yeah. So that is the, the, the unfortunate part of this one. I don't know whether Rose shows up in the next one uh, nope. or in the probably in the third one, I'm going to guess. Maybe but, in a scene, I'm guessing, was, but yeah. but no, I, I think Rose's central role is in this episode. Yeah. The next so, episode, nobody's going to, none of the regulars, but the Doctor and Donna are going to be in it, except maybe in a weird parallel world flashback or right. something weird like that. Right. Yeah, because I think this next one is supposed to be, you know, far future or something like that out in space. You know, they talk about, okay. uh, you know, well, blue yonder like there's going to be like anti-grav yeah. or, you know, no gravity and stuff like that. So, right, right. All right. So uh, to end on uh, a good note, a happy note, a fun mm-hmm. note, let's just put it, call it a fun note. Yeah. Uh, a question came up in our Discord uh, community, in our, uh, our Doctor Who spoilers channel. Uh, one of our listeners asked us, the three, specifically asked the three of us to decide, to give our opinion, in a battle between the Meep and 
Moopsie from Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4. And if you haven't seen it, you have to. Uh, uh, who would win? Okay, uh, so we got to explain what Moopsie is yes. so the listeners will have context. Moopsie is a small, cute creature that drinks your bones. <laughs> yes. So it, it injects you with something that dissolves your innards, including, including your bones, and then it drinks them. And yes. it is capable of taking on much larger creatures. It is extremely dangerous and hands down, Moopsie would win. <laughs> yes. Moopsie would totally drink Beep's bones. Yes. Yep. Yes. Um, Beep, Beep would Beep would sit there, try to outcute it. And while it's trying to outcute it, Moopsie would just jump on it and eat it. <laughs> well, the, the funny thing is Moopsie stays cute. They just moop, moop, moop. And just, bah, and then you're done. Yep. Yeah. It's like the scariest <laughs> triple ever. Uh, so uh, any other thoughts on this one father Corey? anything left to say uh, i i i guess I, I said to be in my my little what i thought at the beginning uh i love donna in the new dartist because of course first thing <laughs> she's gonna do is dump coffee down the console and wreck the thing and that was just that was just so donna yes how about you jimmy Oh, just one thing, which is, and I actually saw uh, YouTube commentator Rich Hudson make this point. When when Ro when Donna and Rose just shake off the made a crisis mind at the end and let it go, he pointed out it felt a little anticlimactic. And after all the buildup of Donna will die if she remembers just shaking it off. Yeah, that's a little anticlimactic. Yes, but the episode was still enjoyable overall. But for me, it's a middle of the road thing. Well, that, well, that, that proves that Donna and Rose are Swifties. <laughs> Shake it off, <laughs> let it let it go. A little a little Disney Frozen reference, maybe. I don't know. Oh yeah, <laughs> pandering to the new bosses. All right, uh, so that does it for our discussion of this time of this this Doctor Who story. Before we go, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who including Israel S., Kenneth K., Jeanette F., Joseph S., and Benjamin C. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you thought of The Star Beast. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, send an email to Who at sqpn.com, or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And of course, you can watch us in our full video. We, we create a video version of the show as well, and you can see that on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media. We'll be back next time, and we'll be discussing the next 60th anniversary special featuring the 14th Doctor and Donna called wild blue yonder until then jimmy aiken thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of doctor who thanks tom father Corey stika thank you as well off we go into the wild blue yonder thanks tom <laughs> said the airman said the former, yeah, exactly <laughs> the former air force airman and once again <laughs> i'm dom bettinelli thank you for listening to the secrets of doctor who on star quest and remember word of advice you can wear a suit that tight up to the age of 35 and no older